0: The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Well, church, it is so great to see you here today. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Well, glad that you're here. I just want to greet those who are joining us live online. Maybe some of you are traveling your way, and so glad that you're staying tuned in to your church. I want to greet our Pilot Campus. We love you guys, and uh, thank you for spearheading, pioneering as we are reaching our city in this new era of our church. Thank you for that. And for those of you who are here, if you have never had an opportunity to try out the Pilot Campus, this is a great time of year for you to try it out, it's at 10:30 on um, on Sunday mornings. It's over in our multi-purpose room, and I want to encourage you to try it out. Many of those who uh, went to our pilot, go to our pilot campus, started there because they wanted to be a part of the vision, furthering the mission of our church. And once there, have really enjoyed that beautiful, more intimate worship setting. And so, I want to encourage some of you to try that out um, this uh, this summer. Great opportunity for you to do that. And um, So glad that you are here today, and we are in part three of our series, I Am Because He Is, and we're talking about the idea of identity, which is one of those things that each one of us, every single human being, regardless of generation, culture, background, um, regardless of where your journey is spiritually, every one of us wrestles with this idea of identity. And I want to start today with a story I recently heard. Um, this took place about 10 years ago, and the, the coverage of this was all over international news. And it was two guys, I'm going to have to read their names. They're from Hungary. Their name is Zolt and Geza Pilati. Zolt and Geza Pilati. And let me tell you about these two guys. They live outside, or they lived outside of Budapest on the outskirts, and they lived in a cave because they were so impoverished, they couldn't afford to live inside uh, the city limits. And so they lived on the outskirts in a cave and they, what they would do to survive is they would find um, scraps of junk and resell it. And whatever they made from that, they would, they would use to, to make it, to buy food or, or whatever. And they had had just a very difficult life. Their mom was a troubled person Estranged herself from her family and kind of isolated them, and then eventually abandoned them. And so they spent most of their life just trying to make it on their own. And all of that changed one day in 2009, when a, a charity worker there in Budapest was uh, came and found these two, these two brothers, and found them and said, "Hey, there's some attorneys looking for you guys." And they said, oh, no, like, well, what did we do? I said, I don't know, they want to talk with you. And they, this charity worker brought the brothers, arranged a meeting with these attorneys. The attorneys were from Germany. And they talked to these brothers. They said, hey, do you know anything about your grandmother, your mom's mom? They said, well, we've never met her. We just, you know, have heard about her. And they said, well, she recently passed away. And to our surprise, as we've been researching, you two are the only heirs... To this, to this grandmother and she has no other descendants. And they say, what do you mean heirs? And they said, she said well, everything from her estate gets passed down to you. And they said, they said do you know anything about your, your grandmother's estate? And they said, well, I heard my, our mom once say that you know she was from a family of means, and but we don't really know anything else. They said, you know nothing else about your grandmother? No, nothing. They said, well, you are the, you're inheriting a quite a fortune. And they said, how much? The attorney said, It's something like six billion dollars. They passed out, I would imagine. (laughs) Okay, and I want you to imagine this scenario. You can imagine why this story got like international news coverage. I mean, it's just one of the most absurd rags to riches like turn of events. I mean, here they're, these these men, they're cave dwellers, become multi-billionaires like overnight, had no idea. Okay, but what's so interesting about, I find, about this story is this inheritance, it doesn't just change, like, their financial situation. It doesn't just change that. Like, if in your mind are like, man, the vacations they could take. I mean, the cars they could drive. I mean, they could live in a large house. Okay, it's so much more. I mean, they're going from cave dwelling to this. In fact, I found it was interesting, um, one of the brothers um, Gaza, he, he said one of his first reactions was, now I can find a nice young woman and settle down and get married. Because, he said, quote, no woman would look at us living in a cave. That's probably true, okay? It's tough to find prospects um, if you're living in a cave, okay? If there's any young men in here trying to find a nice lady, I just want to help you out. Don't live in a cave. Okay, that's just step one, all right, if you're trying to find that special someone. In their minds, it shifted so much of their life. I mean, it's more than just like, oh, luxury. I mean, that kind of transition affects them. It actually affects them down to their identity. We don't simply say they are receiving an inheritance. We say that they are something, They are heirs. It shifted who they are. Now this same idea is talked about in 1 Peter regarding our identity. And I want to share this with you. Open in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, verse 3 if you have a Bible or Bible app. If you do not have a Bible um, or a Bible app, this is a great time to go on your app store right now, pull out your cell phone, silence it. That has nothing to do with downloading an app. It's just a good practice when you're in church. Silence it. Go to your app store, download version, Y-O-U version. It's by an awesome church, life.church. It's got all kinds of translations. We typically use the English Standard Version here. There's a lot of great ones. That's the one we, we typically use. Um, you can open that up to 1 Peter chapter 1, and let's look at verse 3. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now these verses, we're only going to look at three verses today. That's the first one. These verses, they're very dense, very rich. But here's what I want you to see. It doesn't just tell us who we are. It doesn't just tell us what our identity is. It shifts the formula for how we determine our identity. What do I mean by that? Typically, and this is how we've been thinking about it through this series, typically we think in terms of our identity like this. We say, I am... I am something, and we fill that in. We have, we have tons of different unique ways that we find our own identity. I am whatever, however you see yourself, or whatever the pieces are that make up who you see yourself to be. We typically fill this in, and then we, the other part of the, the formula is because. I am this because of something else. It's a basic formula, and we we fill this out in all different ways. And this part, our identity, is so deeply rooted in who we are. It plays out in almost every other part of our life. So let me just give you some examples of this formula here. I want you to imagine um, a young woman. We'll say a teenage girl. She's in high school, and she she is answering this question in a very specific way. Typically, whatever we put here is answering the question, am I valuable? And so we'll say that this young teenage girl, she wants to be um, accepted. And let's say she has a boyfriend. She has a new relationship that she's excited about. Now, she's excited about this relationship, but have you ever witnessed the dynamic where a young woman or a young man is more excited about having the relationship rather than who they're having the relationship with? Is that a true thing that happens? Yes, I got a, mm mm-hmm, I even got one of those, okay? Yes, that is a true thing. There are times where someone is more excited about having a relationship than actually who the relationship is with. Why might that happen? Well, maybe she's in a relationship with this young man, and maybe she she likes him, but the affirmation of being admired and desired by someone is, is doing something inside of her. It's giving her acceptance. She's finding acceptance because someone is admiring who she is. So she likes the relationship even more than who she's in the relationship with. But it might also be because her friend group of other girls respect her more or admire her more because she's in a relationship. And so a young woman, she might fill this out as, I'm wanted, I'm desired, I'm valuable, or I'm accepted. Because I'm in a relationship. Because I'm a girlfriend. And, you know, as soon as that happens, she changed her status on her social media, and that becomes something that she is. It's part of her identity. She says, I am, uh, I am accepted because I have a relationship. Okay, let's fast forward a few decades. Let's take a, a young professional, 20s or 30s. And let's say they're trying to find, could be a man or a woman, they're trying to find their identity. And what they're after is feeling successful. And what they want to feel, how they'll feel valuable is they want to feel like they've made it, that they're successful. And maybe there's things from their background that's building all of this in. So for example, maybe they come in their background, maybe it's a young man and there was no affirmation um, growing up. Or maybe worse than just an absence of affirmation, maybe this, this young man was pushed down and told, you'll never amount to anything. And so because of that, there's this unusual drive in him to prove them wrong. Or maybe one of his parents were very successful, and so he feels this drive to show them he can amount to what they are. There's a long shadow his parents cast over him, and so he has to feel like he's successful, or she has to feel like she's successful to amount to that. Or maybe it's the opposite, maybe there's an abundance of affirmation. Oh, you're gonna be great, you're gonna accomplish a lot of things, and so much so that that built in a drive, I have a lot I have to amount up to. And so there's this inner drive to be successful. He or she will feel valuable if they're successful. So he enters into his 20s, 30s, he, in his career, is just driving him And he's got in his mind either a a level in his company or a level that his company gets to or a salary figure or some way that he feels successful. Maybe for him, it's if I can get to the place where I can vacation in a certain place, I've made it. So I am successful because of where I vacation. I, I am successful because I can afford to drive this kind of car. I am am successful because I have this title on my business card. I am successful because, and it's trying to answer the value question here, I am successful because of something down here. That's the typical formula. But here's what we kind of intuitively know. Our culture warns us, our society continually warns us, it's dangerous to build our sense of identity on externals. Because people can hurt you. Jobs can be lost. Things can be stolen. Industries can tank. The economy can go into recession. There's all kinds of externals. And so the world warns us to not define ourselves on what other people say about us, what other people's expectations. And so it warns us on the instability of finding our identity on externals. It warns us here, don't base this on externals. And so what our society tells us to do is look inside. Know who you are inside, it says. Look inside, find who you are, and stay true to that. Find your identity inside but there's a massive problem with that. The whole reason our tendency is to grab onto externals is because inside is a swirl of uncertainty and insecurity. Inside are the choppy, unstable waters of trying to prove who we are. That's what we're trying to stabilize. And so to look inside at the unstable seas to try and stable it is absurd. And so we only, the, by the world's uh, perspective, there's only two places to look, external or internal. Look outward or inward. But this passage changes the formula and it tells us not to look outward, not to look inward, to look upward. Listen to what it says. This is 1 Peter Let me read this again. It tells us something about God. Listen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be, to be something. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what I want you to see. It changes the formula. I am because... Of something he is. I base who I am on something that he is. My maker, my creator, almighty God, because of things that he is, that changes who I am. And what this verse says is what we talked about last week. If you haven't had a chance to go online, if you weren't here and didn't listen to Pastor Justin's message last week, part two of the series, you have to go online and check it out. It's profound. It says, because he is merciful, we are something. We're born again, reborn. That means your past no longer defines who you are. Your identity is not marred by the shame of your worst moments. Because he is rich in mercy, all of those sins and mistakes are paid for on the cross and they're washed away. That does not define you. Whoever is in Jesus Christ, the scripture says, is a new creation. That's who you are. You are something because of who he is. Now I wanna show you the next thing that you are because of what he is. And it starts with something that he is. It says that he is a living hope, what it says in that verse, a living hope because of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. I'll never forget, I was having lunch with a, a young couple just about to get married. They're in their uh, 20s, sharp, uh, professional, great life experience, both of them. And we were meeting over lunch and they were asking me questions about faith and they wanted to, they were asking me about Jesus. And in the course of conversation, I said something like, well, you know, that's why it's so important that Jesus rose from the dead. And they stopped me and they said, wait, what? I said, well, you know, about the story of Jesus. They're like, well, we know some. I said, you know that you know, he was crucified, nailed to a cross, and died? Like, well, everyone knows that. I mean, yes, I know he was crucified. I said, you know that the, the perspective of those of us who've put our faith in him, who are Christ followers, the perspective is that pays for all of our sins. He is the sacrifice so that all of our sin is paid for and washed away. So, well, we've heard something like that, but we're not 100%. We understand that. And I said, okay. And you know that his followers all claimed that he he went into the grave. His dead body went into the grave. They saw him dead. And on the third day, he came back out of the tomb alive. And they saw him alive, walking around, eating and drinking, hugging them. Like they, they saw him alive. And they say, are you serious? I said, you didn't know that? And they're like, no. And I, I, I tr- I'm like, okay. So we open up to the, the Gospels, the, the stories about Jesus. I turned the Bible around and said, look, read this. And they read the eyewitness account of Jesus coming out of the grave. And they looked at me and they said, that's crazy. I'm like, I know it's crazy. That's the point. I said, do you, you realize the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? I said, you understand that's the key. All the Old Testaments pointing towards that, preparing for that moment, and all the New Testaments pointing back to that, all of history is divided by this one factor. Jesus not only died to pay for our sins, you understand he came back to life. I said, that is fundamental. Like, that is the key. I said, like, that's hard to believe. I said, okay. You know, that's not just like a couple crazy people that claim to have seen this. There are hundreds of eyewitnesses in that first generation. In fact, in other places in the world, they're like, hey, if you need a list of people to talk to that saw him alive, I'll give you a list. I said, you realize that these eyewitnesses, the hundreds of them, many if not most of them went to their torturous death, unwavering, saying, all I can tell you is I saw that he was dead and then I saw that he was alive. And they gain nothing from that claim here on earth. I said, you understand, that's the key. That's what you're being offered here. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus. He said, you understand, like, first of all, that proves that, yes, he was fully man, but he was God in the flesh. Only God can defeat death. Only the author of life can defeat death and come back to life. I said, it proves that he was God. I said, secondly, it's absolutely critical because that says that your sins have been completely paid in full. He's not still paying for your sins and will one day finish paying for your sins. It's done, completed. All of the punishment due for all of your sins, past, present, and future, are paid for if you accept this gift of salvation, faith in Jesus. I said, and thirdly, that's the evidence of what will happen to you if you're in Christ. If you've put your faith in Jesus because he rose from the dead, that's what you too will have eternal life when you die. You will be with him in heaven. I said, that is absolutely the key. What this passage is telling us, it's telling us something about Jesus. Jesus is risen. That fact about Jesus there is something about that truth about Jesus that affects us. That's not just a, a fact about our Savior. That is, there's something about that that shifts our identity. I want to show you what that is. Look at verse four and five. Jesus was raised to, as a living hope, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an, what's that word? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Because Jesus is risen, and your life is in him, you've got an inheritance coming to you. What do you mean an inheritance? I, I've Maybe say, look, I, I don't come from a family of means. I've never thought of myself as having an inheritance. Oh, you have, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've accepted the free gift of salvation, you have an inheritance like you can't imagine. You say, well, yeah, I actually, maybe you do come from a family of means, and yeah, I know that I am an heir. No, no. <laughs> There's nothing you could inherit on this earth like the inheritance you have in Jesus Christ. In fact, the inheritance you have makes the transition from cave dweller to multi-billionaire look embarrassingly puny. Do you know about the inheritance that's waiting for you? It's something it says that's unmovable can't be lost, can't be tarnished, guarded for you. It's as sure as anything else that God has said, an inheritance that is unmovable. Do you know about your inheritance? That when you breathe your last in this life, you are awakening into eternal life for eons if you are in Jesus Christ. Do you understand what that means? That means that even if you are blessed to live for 100 years on, in this life, that is not even the first milliseconds of your existence that extends into eternity. It's not the intermission. Your life hasn't even begun. Did you realize where you're going? You're going to, it's not just this vague, cl- cloudy existence on a, a cloud with a harp. He says he's going to recreate heaven and earth, except this time it's a place that has no pain, nor death, nor tears, nor night. It is the best of this world recreated and you will, if you are in Jesus Christ, enjoy spending all of eternity exploring the vast recreated universe in a glorious form you can't even imagine without being stopped by getting tired, feeling pain, or risking death. Do you you realize what your inheritance is? Do you realize who you will be with You will be in the presence of your Savior, Jesus. You will touch the scars on his hands and on his feet. You will be in the presence of God himself, the source of all wisdom and knowledge and beauty. You will be in his presence. You will be surrounded by loved ones in heaven who are also in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine relationships in heaven that are not marred and tainted by selfishness, pride, or wounds? Do you understand what this is saying about you? There is nothing this world could possibly empty out and offer you that compares with the inheritance that you will inherit for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That shifts your identity. You are something. I am an heir. That's who you are. You are, Christian, an heir. You know, that shifts something about your perspective on how you live your life. There's this uh, movie I recently rewatched. It's from the uh, Batman trilogy with Christian Bale in it, and it's the, the first one Batman Begins. And there's this one scene in that movie that I love. Um, Bruce Wayne has just kind of reemerged back into society. He was off for several years kind of finding himself and he's reemerged he's in the process of becoming Batman and so um, the thing I love about the superhero Batman is he 's not like some alien, you know he doesn't have like superpowers. he just has like really awesome gear and this explains how he gets the gear so in Wayne Enterprises, the company, the empire that his dad built, there's this research and development department that this trusted advisor to his dad, Mr. Fox, now oversees. And they have all of these uh, weapons and all these things that were all experimental. And um, that's where he gets his gear to become Batman. And there's this great conversation in this one scene that I want you to see. Check this out from Batman Begins. Look at this scene. Nomex survival suit, for advanced infantry. Kevlar Biweave, weave reinforced joints. Terror resistant. This sucker will stop a knife. Bulletproof. Anything but a straight shot. Why didn't they put it into production? Bean counters didn't think a soldier's life was worth 300 grand. So what's your interest in it, Mr. Wayne? I want to borrow it for uh spelunking. Spelunking? Yeah, you know, cave diving. Expecting to run into much gunfire in these caves. Look, I'd rather Mr. Earl didn't know about me, borrowing. Mr. Me. Wayne, the way I see it, all this stuff is yours anyway. I love that scene because if you're Bruce Wayne and you walk into Wayne Towers, you pretty much own the place. That's what an heir is. Do you know what this is saying about you? Do, you? do you know who you are? You're an heir. And what could that possibly mean? That's your identity. You are an heir. You have an inheritance. Come to you, you're an heir. What could that possibly mean? Well, here's what an heir does. An heir has access to the father. Let me read you what it says in Galatians. Powerful, listen to this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Listen, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Do you understand who you are? Because if you've put your faith in Jesus, because you are in Christ, God considers you adopted into his family. He looks at you as sons and daughters. You have access to almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, holding all that is in existence together, the one who owns all things. He looks at you like a son and daughter. Men, God looks at you as a son. Ladies, The almighty king of the universe looks at you as a daughter. You have access. He he has an impulse towards you as a father. I want to show you that is our living hope. If we put our hope in something else other than the risen Lord that makes us an heir, if we put our hope in something else, it is not a living hope. It is a dying hope. Remember that young teenage girl? She wanted acceptance. And she found acceptance by having a boyfriend, by a relationship. Maybe accepted by the other girls, maybe accepted by that, by a boy. She was trying to find acceptance, not realizing that in Jesus she could have acceptance from Almighty God. What could possibly compete with that? She could be a daughter, a princess of the King of the Universe. But when you put your hope in something that is gonna, that's dying, like an like a, a earthly relationship, what happens? One day, inevitably, in order to keep her identity of acceptance, she'll be forced with the decision of whether or not she is going to do something sexually with this boy that she doesn't even want to do, but feels like she has to do it to keep his attention or has to do it because that's the expectation of her friend group. And so she'll give herself, she might give, make the mistake of giving herself, not even just out of physical temptation, but it's so much deeper, it's rooted to an identity issue of trying to find acceptance from a relationship. And she is about to bring in a world of pain into her life when she doesn't realize what is already hers in Jesus Christ, accepted by God. You know, we try and answer this right here as a, finding our value, and there are some that try to find their value in success. I am successful. I'm valuable and successful because of the position, the salary, the wealth, the car, the house, the place I vacation. I've hit that level where now I feel like I'm I'm successful. And find value. Man, if we find our identity in that, that's not a living hope. That's a dying hope. Because that young professional gets to their 40s or their 50s or their 60s and they look around at the stuff, the vacations that came and went, the neighborhood they thought they wanted to live in, the car that they thought they wanted to drive, and they look around and they have a crisis moment saying, is this all that my life is amounting to? I'm not as far as I thought I was going to be. I'm not, I didn't achieve the things I wanted or these people are, have moved past me or I thought I was more successful than that person, but this person's now more successful. And when we try and put our hope into something like success to find our value and our identity, that is a dying hope, not a living hope. Do you realize what an heir has? This is what an heir has. Can I read you what it says? I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 8, verse 32. This is what an heir has. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Sons and daughters... If God gave up Jesus Christ for you, do you think he's holding himself back from blessing you? He's got an inheritance waiting for you. He's just a wise father. Wise parents of means know the balance of how to lavishly bless and not spoil. They know how to lavishly bless their children and not spoil them by giving them more than they can handle. That is how your wise, perfect father is handling you. He has lavishly blessed you. You say, well, I haven't gotten this thing that I wanted. Maybe he's handling the spoiled side of us as children. And saying, no, I'm capable of giving you whatever I know you need. He is a perfect father. He is not holding anything back from his children. Do you want to know how valuable it is? There is nothing, there's no stuff that the world can give you that can change who you are as an heir. That's who you are. Can we just take a second and, and hold this before God for a second? Because what did he do by giving up his son? Jesus Christ, who is the son of God, allowed himself to be treated and humiliated less than a servant inhumanely left the right hand of the father so that we could be seated by the father with him. That's what he did. That's how he made you an heir. Do you realize who you are? So some of us may be in here and maybe you're here and you're saying, look, I'm I'm fighting right now rejection. And maybe you come in here and the thing that you're struggling with is rejection and that is hurting so deeply because of how it's affecting your identity and making you wonder if you're valuable. And you're struggling with feeling rejected. But can you be reminded who you are? You're an heir. You have access to the Father. He loves you and is beside you and will never leave you and wants to spend eternity with you. Maybe some of us are in here today, maybe you're sorting through disappointment. There's a loss that, you've, that you, you're disappointed by. There's something that didn't happen and it's affecting your identity because you thought you, if you had just gotten that promotion, if you had just gotten that job opportunity, if you had just gotten that next level, if you had just gotten that, that would have proved to you that you are successful and valuable. Do you know who you already are? Don't find your identity in anything this world has to offer because it cannot offer you anything that could possibly compete with who you already are. He is risen. He is a living hope. And we are seated at the right hand of the Father with him. We are an heir. That's who you are, Christian. Here's what I want to challenge us to do today. Can we just take a second and, and... hold before the Lord whatever it is other than this that we are finding our identity in, in surrender. Because nothing this world has to offer can compare. Can we just take a quiet moment before the Lord and hold that out before him? Would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes with me? Christian, would you silently before God just confess where you're finding your identity. Just confess that before him. And say, I I surrender this because I know it's not a living hope. And commit this week to regularly remind yourself of who you are. Maybe you'll do what we've been doing through the last uh, couple weeks. We've been just writing this on our mirror. So every morning or every night when we look in the mirror and look at our faces, we look through the lens of who we are. Maybe you go home and you write, I am an heir because he is risen. To remind yourself who you are. The world, this world has nothing for you that can compare with that. With what you already have. So surrender everything else to him. But some of you Need to find adoption into the family of God. Need to put your faith in Jesus. Need to find salvation today. Need to make it certain that you'll spend eternity in heaven. You know, this is not just like an eternal life insurance policy. It's not just dotting the I's and crossing the T's on the spiritual side of your life. This is identity shifting. It's about shifting your hope to the risen Lord. To Jesus, building your life on Jesus and who He says that you are. And so some of you need to find salvation, accept what He did, believe that He rose from the dead, put your faith and your hope in nothing other than Jesus, forsaking all else. And if you're ready to take that step, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Whether you're here or in our pilot campus or watching online, would you just, if that's you, you want to put your hope in Jesus, just pray this prayer silently right there in this quiet moment with God, just silently say, God, thank you. Thank you for treating me like a son or daughter. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sins on the cross. I believe he rose again from the dead and that I will live in eternity with him. I put all my hope in you and nothing else.